BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottom and cans turn blue when your beer is cold and that way you know it's time to chill hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Welcome to a very special Friday roundtable presented by Scout Logistics and Symbol, your stock market for sports. Matthew Collars, Sam Ekstrom, as always, and joining us, a man who has separately worked with both of us in the past, Sage Rosenfels, former Vikings quarterback. What is going on, Sage? I feel like we're having a podcast reunion here of various podcast hosts, partners in my past. Now, you guys are working together uh pr- pretty amazing stuff there and I, I don't know i don't know how many conversations i've had with both of you guys about all sorts of various vikings i mean to 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 and it still is like who's the the, the guard they need it's still we've been talking about me and sam been talking about that for like six years <laughs> and uh and you guys are probably still talking about that so um yeah it's we I, it's it's fun having the, for the first time having a a podcast show whatever with uh with the two of you yeah, the stars have aligned incredibly here, and and I think we can attribute our career ascension, Sage, to you for being the glue that's sort of like you were the rising tide that, that pulled us up the ladder. I remember like our defining podcast show was like day three of our show. We had to react to Teddy Bridgewater's knee injury, which sort of set the tone for the whole thing because it was like the 2016 season and the collapse that ensued. And all of that nonsense, we uh, we analyzed it all for hours and hours. We've spent a lot of time together. And I feel like when that happened, I was in Ames, Iowa, uh, like visiting the Iowa State staff or something. And then I was getting the car to drive up to Minnesota. And I think that's when we actually had the emergency podcast. Mm-hmm. I was on the road. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the amazing thing about podcasts. You can sort of record them or do them pretty much wherever you are. And uh, it does allow me to have a... I guess a fairly free lifestyle to to be here, to be there. I don't have to go in office every day and, and po- the podcast world is definitely makes that possible. So yeah, there's, there's been some interesting uh, conversations and emergencies 
along the way with both of you. Yeah, well, I think uh, our work together peaked at the NFL Combine in 2019 or when you called the firing of John Filippo weeks before because uh, they weren't running enough bootlegs. <laughs> it, is, so, uh, it, is, it is interesting to have these you know, various conversations with the both of you. And shoot, when Sam and I started, I'm not even sure if like Kyle Shanahan had been named a head coach in San Francisco yet, right? And then all that has happened since then. And me probably talking about that scheme, what makes that scheme good, what allows an average quarterback like me to actually be pretty good in that scheme, and, you know, what teams are doing it, what teams aren't, uh, and and then various coordinators that the Vikings have had along the way, and quarterbacks, uh, and how they've played, and how that's all sort of come to fruition over the last five or six years. And I'll give Sage another hat tip. I think during our show when, you know, Kevin Stefanski was probably the tight ends coach at that point, a receivers coach, and Sage was saying, Kevin Stefanski is a future offensive coordinator, and this is two, three years before he actually got the job. And now look at him, Sage. He's the coach of a playoff team in Cleveland. Yeah, it's well, that's sort of like, you know, picking Tom Brady in the sixth round. I said he'd be a good offensive coordinator. I didn't think he'd win a coach of the year as a rookie during a pandemic of the Cleveland Browns. And so, you know, I was a chance to be around a lot of football coaches and some of these guys were young and you could just tell the guys that I think were learning guys that could learn the game, but also have those people skills, those leadership skills, those sort of common sense skills uh, that could be, you know, one day head coaches. And I was around Jason Garrett, knew he'd be a head coach. Uh, and, you know, Kevin Stefanski, Kyle Shanahan, I knew he'd be a head coach, uh, but also very much, I think, Kyle, a head coach who's very active. Like, there's no way I don't think Kyle could ever let go of designing a lot of these plays and calling a lot. That is very much who he is. I could see even Kevin Stefanski, if he had the right guy, taking that step back and just being that sort of leader of the ship because he has that type of personality. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess I, I, showed, I, I got lucky there. I wish there was stock. There should be some sort of website where, like, you can pick coaches, college pros, and you get points for if they become head coaches and how successful they are. They're like stock, like stocks in, in actual coaches. And then, I don't know, trade Bitcoin or something involved. I don't know, something like that. <laughs> something, with, something to do with an NFT. Just get, like, something, the, the coach trading card NFT. Uh, I was doing yeah. a podcast about NFTs and Bitcoin the other day. That was interesting. Uh, so side note, I think I'm going to not buy stock in the Eagles coach who was doing rock, paper, scissors with some of his players in the uh, in the draft meeting. So anyway, before, before we move on to the conversation, I just want to say that Sam and I both have learned so much from you, Sage, along the way that we greatly appreciate that and apply it poorly when we have our conversations um, about quarterbacks. So it is greatly appreciated all the time that you've put in to not only like podcasting with us and having a good time, but also giving us an understanding of how all of this works. Yeah. And, and I guess I, I feel like with the Vikings, I, I I've had a pretty good feel for, you know, that, that, that position quarterbacks in particular, but the style of offenses they've been running in the last few years uh, you know, since me retiring in 2012, um, you know, I don't have to um, sit there and watch a ton of football to sort of know what I, to see what I see and know what I know and remember plays. And, you know, that's what I was probably trained to do. Uh, you know, you, you spend five years in college and then 12 years in the NFL, you'll learn so much about this thing that when you're done playing really doesn't have that much value unless you're in the media game or you become a coach in some way or, you know, a, a trainer of some sorts or whatever, right? But 
there are more avenues now. You, know, you got the JTO Sullivan's out there making great videos, um, you know, grinding the grind the film, uh, grind the tape, as they say. Uh, it's but it's nice to have different ways to try to express what I do know. Um, and and obviously working with you guys has allowed me to do that. I'll give you one more. You saw five minutes of Vikings training camp practice, and you said that Jake Browning would beat out Kyle Sloter for a job in, in camp because he was making the right reads. So none of us have any clue what reads somebody's supposed to make, but you knew the, the base plays. And we're like, oh, yeah, well, he's running it right and throwing it to the right people, and the other guy isn't, which is what the team is actually looking for. That was a good yeah, one. Yeah, but there's, sometimes there's also, like, body language. Like, there's these things that – you know, especially when you're going to be the practice squad quarterback or the third string quarterback more than like the backup. I mean, that's a role that allows an organization to take chances, but it also allows some organizations to say, you know, we really just want a, a guy who could come in and execute for us if we need to, a good presence in the locker room, something that's very likable. The last thing we need is any, any sort of waves coming from that practice squad third string quarterback spot um that is like that you can control that as a head coach and as a gm to not want you know to have that sort of like uh you know be seen and not heard uh how can i help type of third string quarterback or practice squad quarterback and i could almost sense that just in that practice of just again sort of like that body language and then obviously some of the stuff that we all saw with some some of the various quotes online and things like that, and um, you know, I don't know. It's it's uh it's, it's what I did for a long time, and I guess it's what I know. I, I like to think more than most people. Sage, I know you do QB coaching through QB Collective, which is an awesome setup. Um, just you know, grooming young quarterbacks. Have, have you had the chance to come across any of this year's prospects through that? Um, because I know that in the past you have had the opportunity to work with some draft prospects. I believe it was Anthony Gordon last year. Um, anything with QB Collective 2021 that has sort of informed you on, on this year's draft class? Yeah, so Ian Book I worked with for a week, and I also worked with him right before the uh, the pandemic started. He was at my house when Tom Hanks, Forrest Gump, got uh, tested positive for COVID. Um, and, and sort of watching him having to deal with the head coach of Notre Dame, calling him and, and discussing what's going to happen and what are, what are people going to do. And, you know, was, no one was going back to school. Like, so, so anyway, and then in January, uh, he and I worked together for a week down in Jackson. We'll get him ready for the Senior Bowl. So I have some, I have, a, you know, thoughts about Ian, um, of course. And, and then, you know, of course I study some of these guys, but with Quarterback Collective, Justin Fields, the guy that I did work with my first year working you know, quarterback collective stuff, camp in LA. I think it was the second year they did the camp. Um, I I love going to these camps and not knowing who the best players are. I love not knowing like who's the kid that's going to USC or Alabama or Notre Dame or whatever. And usually over the or the course of the couple days or a day, I sort of get a feel for who guys are. Or I'll ask them, hey, what where, what's that guy's deal? And then I get to know. But I actually like going in knowing very little. And then I get to just work with them and teach them and not have some judge. I'll go, he's better than this guy because he's going to Alabama and this guy is just going to Illinois or something like that, you know. Um, but Justin Fields was was a player that just, as soon as I saw him throw, I'm like, this guy can really throw. He throws just a beautiful straight football, natural throwing motion. 
and quite an athlete. Uh, he was quiet um, when, I, when, I, when I sort of hung out with him a little bit. I, I, try, I tried to steal a little time with him after the second day. Uh, it, there was some, in, it was like a break from the indoor meetings. Maybe it was a lunch thing. And, and he would just sort of sit and I sat next to him and we talked. And he had been to 12 football camps that summer. 12 football camps, right? So these are all these like one day, they're really recruiting visits, right? And I never went through anything like that. And so he and I sort of had this discussion. I was like, I'm sorry, you have to do that. Like that sucks the way the system is. It seemed better back in the day when, you know, they just found you. You didn't have to like go chase them, you know, or whatever. It was just, you know, an odd thing. But but he was, you know, he's a nice kid. But yeah, he wasn't a, a loud, annoying. I mean, you, you get all the types. That's the thing is at these camps, you get to see these kids hanging out with each other. It's not a stressful environment. We're not rating them and winning some award afterwards like some of these other camps. We're just teaching them. And so you get to sort of see who are the guys who are really workers, who are the guys who sort of screw around a little bit, and who are the guys who, like, have a good time, but they're also working and they're, they're enjoyable to be around, you know, that the, that's like that moxie that you sort of like about the kid, you know what I mean? Um, and, you know, with Justin Fields that he, you know, just physically, it's like, you know, throwing the football, that ball really came out nice. It was like these straight, you know, perfectly spinning throws, rarely like through a wobbler at all. And then you do see the physical four four three skills at the combine. So I don't know what his, uh, I don't want to use the word mental capacity, right? But I don't know what his, uh, um, uh, how he processes information and all because they do tests for those types of things too. I don't know what those numbers are with him. Seem like a very smart kid to me. Uh, I've watched enough Ohio State football that they have an interesting offense, but they are pushing the ball down the field a lot and they're reading guys as they run down the field. I think it's probably for me, it would be a harder offense for me to be in. And like, you know, he was about 40 touchdowns and one pick two years ago and Still very good numbers last year, not as good. But you got to think he's he's accurate down the field, um, sort of like Russell Wilson, right? He's got a really strong arm. He's a great athlete. Um, and to put up those types of numbers, it wasn't Josh Heupel type stuff where he's just like, you know, throwing little wide receiver screens and little fade routes to guys. And it, it didn't seem like it was that type of offense over there at Ohio State. So I got to think that he has a lot of the ingredients to be a, a good NFL quarterback. Uh, but again, you know, I've never seen him in an NFL t- style offense. What they do at Ohio State did not seem very NFL-y to me, very few teams. So you, you do always wonder how that can sort of translate to that, to the, to, to the NFL level. I think Mac Jones was not there the, maybe one of the days I was there, one of the years I, I may have missed him or I, he was there and I just didn't know who he was, you know, that which would surprise me. But I definitely have now looked back and seen pictures of him and tried to go, do I remember that kid when he was in camp or not? But he didn't look very rememberable when he was 17 years old. He was pretty skinny, just sort of like an average sort of looking kid. Didn't look like he had some great throwing motion. Watching him throw the last few days, watch a little tape on him, really has great feel for the game. And, and very accurate. I love accurate quarterbacks. And they do push the ball down the field enough. Um, but does have really good feel and, uh, and the way he sort of moves through and progresses through his progressions looks very natural to him. I don't know if he's been coached really well on that. My, my, uh, I would assume he has. So Steve Sarkeesian, 
So then you got to go into this whole world. Steve Sarkeesian, he's a very good coach, but when he got to Atlanta, they were running all these things that Matt Ryan liked from Kyle Shanahan. So to see now Mac Jones doing some of those things that Matt Ryan was doing six years ago, whatever, in, in 2016 Atlanta type of thing, um, he does those things like a veteran quarterback does. Right. So that makes me know like he can do these NFL type things very well. He is in a sense processing information, but he also looks like he's done that before. He's made those types of reads that I've seen NFL offenses now do. And maybe Justin Fields has not done those as much. Right. So that's where you get these really interesting evaluations on two very different athletes, but two guys I I think will be good NFL quarterbacks, um, but they're, but they are different. And um, I, you'd think they'd both be pretty good, but definitely Mac Jones isn't some great. So people go like, you should the 49ers draft Mac Jones because he's like Kirk Cousins. I wouldn't trade three first rounders for Kirk Cousins. I wouldn't trade two. I probably wouldn't. I would not trade one first rounder for Kirk Cousins. That's not me personally. I want a guy who will like make everybody better on the football team. Um, I, even Matt Ryan, who, who was the MVP, would I trade three first rounders for Matt Ryan? Probably not. Probably not. And because, you know, I'm looking for, you know, he never had a big arm. He never had great mobility, you know, all these things. Very good player, MVP in some really good years, but not a transcendent player, in my opinion. I think Kyle's looking for a transcendent player, which leads me to believe that that because of the athleticism um, and probably arm strength, too, that it would be Justin Fields at this number three spot. That leads me to that spot. But I don't know if he's like so in love with the guy that, that has is doing these things that he sort of has, you know, he knows is advanced algebra that you see in Mac Jones do. And that's who he really likes. And, you know, that's what's so interesting, I think, to be about this draft and that this 49ers pick is I can see why Kyle could like them both a lot. It was very funny to see the internet light on fire when you responded to, I think it was Jeff Schwartz saying, come on, he's not going to take Mac Jones. And then everyone's like, what does Sage know? What does Sage know? know? It's like, Sage doesn't know, okay? Kyle Shanahan wasn't texting you. Sage, you're the only one I'm going to tell. It's Justin Fields. <laughs> that was funny. No, though. it's interesting. You know, and I'm pretty connected with a lot of those guys who, who coach on that staff, obviously, and, and having those relationships. But that's the last thing I would do. I'm not interested in getting that in their business and leaking some story and, you know, the end of those relationships. Um, so I don't even ask, you know, that, that's, I, that's, that's not my spot. Uh, but yeah, it, it is interesting. The, the, the NFL, man, the draft, the draft, the draft is hope. The draft is nothing more than hope for all 32 teams. The worst team in the draft go, Hey, we got that, you know, that receiver now for Jamie Burrow, you know, and then we got another got a, a guard. We could use a guard because he's going to need something to give us a little hope for next year or the year after. Like we're building something here. And that's what the draft season is. And, and somebody texted me this morning, like, what do you think all these quarterbacks? I'm like, the best one will probably be a fifth rounder. There'll be a fifth rounder, a fourth rounder. You know, book, maybe. maybe it's Ian Book <laughs> because of my tutelage, you know, <laughs> ends up being the, the best transcendent player, right? Like the Tom Brady or the Kurt Warner or the whatever that, you know, my year, it was Drew Brees, who was the, the first pick of the second round. Um, you know, I guess Michael Vick was the first pick, but you just don't know year after year who those players are going to be and who's, who's going to be. It's like sort of that guy. There's usually one or two in a draft. 
and the rest are, you know, backups and they might have 10 year careers. But, you know, I mean, uh, you, you, you know, we'll, we'll just sort of see how that 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 plays out. You know what I mean? But, uh, you know, you, you like to think there's going to be a couple in this draft. Everyone's been for the last like two years. People have been talking about this draft for quarterbacks like, hey, that year there's going to be a whole bunch of really good kids. By the way, we didn't, I didn't bring up Trey Lance just because I haven't watched him yet. I can't, for whatever reason, get my get uh, a hold of that all twenty two tape from like last year or whatever. You played one game this past year or something, right? So um, I don't know much about that kid, you know, at all. But I do know North Dakota State quarterbacks have have been pretty good, pretty uh, fine tuned as they got to the NFL. They they must coach and they do coach more NFL style concepts up there. And so when those guys do make that jump, it's not as big as the guys who are, you know, the, the air raid offense uh, of Washington state or something like that. Hey everyone. Anybody who listens to the show knows that Sam and I may not be scratch golfers, but we love to have a great time playing golf. And that's why we have partnered with birdie golf in Woodbury. Birdie Golf is hands down the best indoor golf experience you will ever have. There are eight of the world's best golf simulators where you can sharpen your swing and luckily for us, never lose a ball. But it's not just for hardcore golfers. Birdie Golf is for everyone. Bring the family, play arcade style games while dining on great food in an upscale and comfortable environment. They have private bays for social distancing, a luxury lounge for private events, outdoor patio, and scratch kitchen. You'll want to try the whiskey or beer float flights and the best boneless wings in the metro. Make golf a night out or the place to hold parties, events, fundraisers, even your fantasy football draft. Check out Birdie Golf at 494 in Valley Creek in Woodbury, just a short drive from anywhere in the Twin Cities metro, and at birdiegolf.com, or you could call 651-998-2200 today. I'll see you there. Folks, the football offseason is off and rolling, and SodaStick has you covered with Minnesota sports-themed gear. Some of my favorite football designs that you have to check out include the Chuck Foreman Spin Doctor gear. You can commemorate Randy Moss's disgusting act on a shirt or a hoodie. And if you're old school, check out the Purple People Eaters design as well. Go to SodaStick.com and check them all out. If you use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER, you can get free shipping on all your Minnesota sports-inspired gear. All of their apparel is screen printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. Plus, keep your eyes and ears out for our giveaways going on on this show as well on social media. Follow them at SodaStickCo on Twitter and at SodaStick.com for your original Minnesota sports inspired goods. Code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. So let me ask you something about, you know, when you're watching these guys are trying to figure out who can play and who can't play. The thing, the the words processing come up all the time. And uh, you had another Twitter interaction where you tweet out like, look, most of you people don't know how to actually watch wow. film. And so many people got defensive. But the answer is, no, that's right. That's yeah. right. That's why I follow on Twitter people who do, the few people who do. That's why I text you and say, hey, what do you think happened here? Or Whose fault was that? Or whatever, what was supposed to happen? And uh, same with, you know, Jeremiah Searles when we watch offensive line tape because 
just like that's what you did your whole life. And so um, I, I just want to know from you, when you're watching a quarterback, like how do you even get a sense for that without knowing exactly what the guy is taught, which read he's supposed to make, like how things are, are put together? Because it really seems central to the criticism about Justin Fields. And my thing is, Sage, I just don't know if you can really figure this out from what they do in college because it's so different. And I remember at the combine, you had a, co- a couple of conversations with guys about like, it's just so much different in the NFL. We're not even really sure. So I guess how do you like define that? And like, what are you looking for when you're trying to figure out if someone can quote process? Yeah. So yeah, that's the thing is you have no idea what they're being taught. You have no idea what their offensive coordinator is thinking or what he called and why and what he told them to read and, and, you know, what he understands about protections. You know, nothing really. Uh, you know, you, you watch it and you try to have a feel for it. And sometimes it is cringeworthy of like, who is the court? It happens a lot. Who is this coordinator? What is the quarterback supposed to do on this play? Right. As I watch something, when I, you know, and you can ask any good coordinator this. NFL coordinator, when they watch other people's tape, they can tell what they're trying to get done here. Oh, I see this plays or this over here and for this over here, and this is what they're trying to do and it didn't work out um, or whatever happens. There's a lot of college film where I have no idea what's going on. There's so many people running around. Offensive line play sometimes is very poor. Uh, it's very much the ball goes to the quarterback and he's back there sort of bouncing around and just sort of looking around and, you know, making it happen almost type of thing. It's just because the, the NFL game, the defensive linemen and the defensive ends are so good. That's what changes the game between college and the pros, in my opinion. That's where you have to be so much smarter and know so much more because the windows go get so much smart, smaller and the time you have is so much less. So you have to make a very, very, very quick decisions, which means you have to process information very quickly, back to sort of your question. And you can't always see that. Um, and that's probably the hard thing. They are doing tests now. They are legitimately doing these various tests uh, that um, people have that help you understand how you personally process information, how Matthew Collar and Sam Ekstrom process not just information you maybe read or see in a, some sort of weird light board, but like actually how you th- see things move and how your then body reacts to those things. It's very interesting. And we all just have different things. My, my son, you know, just did not like basketball is a is sport. There's constantly things going on. So process information is almost like not thinking at all and just reacting. You just know if you're a thinker, you're, you've already, you're already behind the play. Right. And football sort of like that. Um, and, and but to be able to understand information, see what you're seeing and then tell your body to react because of that and move on and, and anticipate. And uh, those things are you don't really know until you I think you don't really know until you actually get them. Um, but I don't know. It's I think the more the kids learn. And I have good teachers, the more you can understand how you know they can they'll be able to process information faster if i can teach kids in high school fairly detailed coverages four two three one two man you know talk about all the different combinations blitzes and then when they get up there in high school and college they'll be so much more prepared to process information and of why things work and what works versus different things when they get to the nfl level 
So the earlier you can learn the game, which is what I am trying to do in my quarterback collective stuff, I like to think that when you're older, you will be able to be a better player because you won't have to hold on to the ball more because you'll know exactly what the defense is trying to do. And then the balls can, then next thing you know, you can put these balls in these really, really tight windows and you don't have to wait that extra half a second that you do in college to make sure he's open. You know what the rules are. You know what the defense is trying to do and you can fit ball in the tiny, tiny windows to where the average fan goes, man, that, how do they make that throw through that window, right? That's all education of understanding how defenses work and then how they're holes. It's not like see and throw it all that much. If you can do the see and throw it too, that's even more amazing, right? I mean, Brett Favre was a see and throw it guy forever, forever. And then over time, he actually started learning how coverages work probably fairly far down the line, it seems like to me, right? Um, if he could have had that education earlier with that guns, you know, but there's an aspect of the gunslinger mentality you love to have. You love guys who have enough guts who, and the ability to like see a play late and be like, ooh, I'm going to move around over here and just fire a ball into that spot, right? Sort of blind because it's blind out there. It really is. Um, and so that is that combination of like good player to great player, the guy that can do both. Well, I'm, I'm chuckling at the thought of Sam Ekstrom and Matthew Collar doing the processing test because my processing ability would be like dial-up modem. Like <laughs> something happens and then here's Sam like dumbfounded. What do I do? But what what you're speaking to is just a crazy amount of emphasis that needs to be put on the mental side of the game. And I'm curious, in your opinion, Sage, how much is the mechanical evaluation a part of this this draft prospect um eval for these teams because it you know maybe a guy's footwork is just a little off the arm angle the hand placement um in your experience like how quickly are nfl teams getting their hands on a guy and then telling them all right this is what we want you to do and do you do you think that process is sort of ongoing um throughout their rookie year trying to get the mechanics right yeah, so I, I think the mechanics matter. I think those like throwing coaches are, are definitely important. You want to be able to give yourself a chance uh, with like it's like I always compare it to basketball, but like if you have the correct shooting form and learn a few drills that help you be a more consistent in the same spot, whatever thrower, you'll be consistently be able to hit the same target over and over and over again. And that's the, that's key, right? You need to be an accurate quarterback. Baker Mayfield changed some of his throwing motion. From his, I think it was almost between the combine and his his pro day two months later, you actually saw a significant change in all of this. So he got with somebody and they worked on something that I believe was the right thing to do. And um, so so they're, they're, they are looking at that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in my opinion, Kirk has a not a great throwing motion. There are things that he does that I think hold him back and make him less act throws to his left flat routes to his left. How many times have you seen him miss that one? And there's a reason behind that. Um, you what definitely, is it? just out of curiosity, what, what is the reason for him? Well, if you, if you watch Kirk throw his, uh, and this is just podcast or just video also, I don't know what the, the listener just podcast. Just right? pod. gonna, yeah. Well, show yeah, us anyway. video it. So, so he sort of like leans a little bit too far to his left and his hips are no longer flat. His hips, his right hip goes up in the air, and his right leg a lot of times comes over top of it like a baseball pitcher, okay? When you change that angle, your shoulders a lot of times change too. All right, now you've got this 
you know, this sort of uh, 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 thing where both the shoulders and the hips are leaning to the left, basically. And now you're trying to make an accurate throw. If you can keep those as flat as possible, and there's a few things in the throwing motion, a few drills you can do to try to do that, it helps you keep your shoulders flatter, keeps your hips flatter, keep your right foot in the ground. Now you need less space to throw. You can throw from a foam booth a little bit better. There's more torque involved. Um, you know, the, Tom Brady throw does a, is as good as anybody with this. And, but yeah, there's the, the game has changed a little bit. There used to be back in the day, you're taught to sort of bring that right leg around to be like even with your left leg. Um, but that now that's not really the case as much. And I, and it's because you don't want it coming out the ground. You don't have the space of a pitcher anymore. It's not pitching. We're not doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a very limited amount of uh, area in there. Um, and yes, yeah, so I, I think that's, that's his issue. Anyway, Trevor Lawrence, I think he leans a little bit to his left, brings his foot around a little bit too much as right. You know, he's working out there with Jordan Palmer. I, I would assume Jordan and I don't agree probably on all the different aspects of the throw in motion. I don't know what X's and O's they're doing out there, but I see that in his deal. I see what Zach Wilson's doing is what the new age quarterbacks are looking like. Um, I think he could be very much like the kid, uh, um, Kyler Murray. I feel like they could have a similar game. That's like, I think that's the future of the game, a little more Doug Flutie action, but these small guys can create a lot of torque um, with their body and, and those throws that everyone blew up over over as a you know, pro day. I see 14-year-olds trying to make those throws, right? I've been seeing it for the last few years. That wasn't stuff that I did, you know, growing up, right? Um, so, yeah, there's different things. You know, Justin Fields has a thing in his throwing motion that I – I'm not a huge fan of from watching his college. You know, it looks like it's gotten worse to me, not better. I thought he was a more natural thrower in high school. Um, uh, but he still is so accurate down the field. Man, I, I, I am, I, 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 I'm hoping he has a really good career. He's a good, really good kid. I'm hoping he's got a good career. And then who else? I, I haven't seen the, the, the North Dakota State kid. looks like he's got a little hitch. Uh, and you know, Mac Jones is a very natural thrower. Mac Jones is a natural thrower. Again, if you ask Kyle Shannon, what are you looking for? And he'll, he'll post out, he'll say these five things he's looking for for a quarterback. One of those is natural thrower. And it might be like the second one, you know. Um, there's something about that ball just coming out fluidly and naturally like a Steph Curry shot. It's like, it's, it's just pure butter. Look at that thing. There is just no wasted motion. It is fluid. When it's fluid, it, it can be repeatable. When there's hitches in it, it changes changes to be a less re- repeatable throwing motion. And by the way, Peyton Manning, terrible throwing motion. Terrible throwing motion. <laughs> he he, uh, but he was so big and strong that he could sort of get away with it. Uh, and he was it was so quick that that's why the ball didn't come out great. Uh, and it would wobble a lot of times is because his throwing motion was so sort of over the top and less sort of twisting and torquing. He was sort of an over the top ab cruncher almost type of thrower, right? Um, and, and, but, you know, uh, one of the all time greats too, right? So it's not just about the throw motion. I think of anything, the, the, the mental stuff, all these guys can throw. Um, but the mental stuff is like, who can, who can carry that weight? Uh, I think that is, that's really important in this draft process. So when you talk about that, I, I want you to speak to the two perspectives of sort of the making it from a character kind of angle, because you were 
a backup quarterback for Eli Manning, who you speak very highly of. And I think of, like, how many quarterbacks have ever had more pressure coming into the NFL than Eli Manning? Not only does his dad pull the whole thing where he gets traded to New York, but you're the number one pick. You're in New York for the New York Giants. I mean, you can't ask for more pressure. His career, like his brother, didn't start off perfectly. And then he, you know, gets it together as he goes along, wins two Super Bowls, and then you got a chance, you know, to be his backup quarterback. And I, I wonder what he does from a from just sort of his makeup and who he is perspective that can deal with that type of pressure because all these guys if they're if we have quarterbacks that go one two three four I mean that's four franchises who are going to look at you and say you are the one who's supposed to take us to the promised land I mean think about like think about how much San Francisco is giving up if you're Justin Fields you're not just the number one pick you're three picks worth of a guy and that comes along with an insane amount of pressure that's what really took apart Ryan Leaf I think that's taken apart a lot of guys that they it's not just can they handle X's and O's can they throw with the right motion but it's also everything is sort of dumped on you from an entire franchise so I was raised in town of 300 people grew up went to high school in town of 6,000 you guys are from your spots in the world all right our, our dads were not NFL quarterbacks okay to grow up and, and see that big picture and see that world and be a part of it and knowing, and, and I'm sure how uh, Archie dealt with it and, and understood the business side of it and sort of probably see the whole thing. You can't reteach that. You can't come in with a financial advisor or a, a motivation coach or, or a life coach and like create that. These guys grew up in it. Uh, probably it's the same with like Sean McVay. You know, his dad wasn't a player or a coach, but, uh, his, you know, his family was always involved in the NFL world to have all those life experiences and then to become a good college football player and also have the older brother, we remember Peyton too, but Peyton's the older brother was dad, you know what I mean? So to have that person right in front of you, um, and, and how they did their career, it's, it's a huge advantage. It's an absolutely huge advantage to have. And I think that's why probably Eli understood the big picture also the small picture of like it's at the end of the day it's just a football team you know they sort of had that connection of where they sat in the whole thing and what their role was and how to deal with the media and and you know where to what what to stress about I think I think also to know it's if you're really good this thing's a marathon this thing is a marathon right even if it doesn't work out and you're not the greatest of all time or a hall of famer if you can have a great backup career, you're going to have enough money to set yourself up and your kids up and your family up or whatever for life. And like, so don't play the, you know, the, the, the sprint game of it's like this day, this week, this day, it's, it's like a, it's like a lifestyle. And he learned that from his dad, his family. And I think that was a huge advantage with Eli and, and Peyton and those guys. Uh, to prepare them for the wild world, which is NFL life. It is. It's a whole different, you know, you don't really know what it is until you get out of it, to be honest with you. And then you're like, holy cow, it is It is a whole different thing. You know, it's traveling circus in a lot of ways. And and it's everyone's interested in it. Everyone seems to be, uh, not everybody, but a lot of people are just in quarterbacks and New York Giants. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a huge deal. It's a global type thing. Um, and having any sort of education, going into it is a big advantage. I did not have that. I did not have 
uh, growing up on our half acre organic farm with 50 chickens and, and making maple syrup and apple juice uh, with, you know, three channels on TV did not prepare me uh, accurately probably for an NFL to be an NFL quarterback, but in a lot of ways probably did. Like it's, uh, I think probably growing up in the country probably actually helped me to to do that and have two older brothers and to run around and just do things physically sure help me be a better athlete. So, um, you know, strengths and weaknesses everywhere, but definitely to have that experience is definitely a big strength. Let me toss out a multiple choice to you, Sage, just so we can like establish where you stand sort of with regard to the Vikings and, and what they're going to do at quarterback. Um, at number 14, you've got option A, Trey Lance is available. Option B, Mac Jones is available. Um, option C, you take somebody in the mid rounds, whoever that might be, or you don't take a quarterback, stand pat. Um, what are you doing if you're the Vikings brass in uh, in next week's draft? Um, I think that you draft one of those two guys, Trey Lance or Mac Jones. If okay. you get one of those guys, you're using your first rounder, right? I mean, Green Bay used a first rounder. Uh, last year with Jordan Love. So I think with that, that would be a no-brainer if one of those two guys is available. You don't want to reach like they did with Christian Ponder and try to get a guy who's really not a first-rounder and make them into a first-rounder. So they would have to see what their talent evaluation is on the all the, sort of the rest of the quarterback group. And, again, there is a good chance that, like, one of the other guys might be the best of them all, and that just might be the way it ends up going. We don't know. But if I'm then, I'm definitely drafting a quarterback in the first three rounds. I'm trying to find the, the guy. I, I just don't believe Kirk is going to be the guy that brings him to the Super Bowl. Um, he's not a transcendent player. He's not a guy that makes everybody better on the football team. And if you want to win a Super Bowl, you got to find that guy. And the only way to find him is to keep taking shots. And you, usually it's keep taking shots in the draft and you know, hopefully get one. Uh, but drafting guys continuing in the sixth and seventh round, which has always been a Rick strategy, hasn't really worked. And um, it's been probably for decent backups or whatever, but it really has, they haven't had great success there. I would be more aggressive and try to get somebody in the second or third round um, so that they like, that they can build. And I would have him be a different quarterback. I'd have him be, I would like to have a, a Vikings quarterback be more athletic. Good throw, good thrower, but I'd like to have a different dimension there um, that Kirk definitely does not have. And, uh, you know, somebody that was a, a just as good at, and the good, the good thing about this draft is, and more and more quarterbacks just in general are fitting that profile. Guys that aren't just, that's what the scare, everyone's scared about Mac Jones because he really is just sort of the pocket passer. All the other guys looks like, look like and run around pretty good. So you'd like to think that there's one of these other guys that we haven't talked about that can do those things and might be a, you know, second or third runner. But I, I think in the first half of the draft, they need to get a quarterback. Hey everyone, we have a new special offer to tell you about with our friends at Symbol. If you go to Symbol.app, that's S-I-M-B-U-L-L dot A-P-P, and sign up as a first-time user with a $20 deposit into Symbol using the promo code PURPLE, you will receive six months free of premium Purple Insider written content at purpleinsider.substack.com. So go to Symbol.app. 
Deposit $20 if you're a first-time user, six months free of our premium written content at Purple Insider. If you are not familiar yet with Symbol, it is a new sports marketplace where you can trade shares of professional teams like stocks. So as we are fully into draft season, you're going to want to get in now with your team before their stock rises. Here's how it works. You buy stock of teams, and when your teams win, you earn cash payouts that are instantly deposited. So check it out, symbol.app. Follow them on Twitter at Symbol Exchange and check out the market. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Place for sports. Hey everyone, I want to tell you about our friends at Scout Logistics, and I really do mean it when I say friends. They are fans of Purple Insider over at Scout Logistics, and since they reached out wanting to support this show, I want to tell you about what they do. Scout Logistics is just-in-time transportation for full tractor-trailer loads, and if you're wondering what that means exactly... Well, if you own or work for a company that needs shipping solutions, they are the preferred carrier of Fortune 500 companies across North America, and we have quite a few of those in Minnesota, right? They can ship perishable, non-perishable, FTL or LTL, and they have on-time delivery rate of over 99%. So, if you're like them and you enjoy the show and you have shipping needs, check out ScoutLogistics.com or call 855-217-2688, extension 232, to connect with them directly to find out how Scout Logistics can minimize risk and overperform and go the extra mile for your company. Well, let me give you uh, your credit as a guy who's drafted in the fourth round and made yourself a decade-plus-long career in the NFL because I was doing a little research. Since Kirk was drafted in 2012, where there were two middle-round quarterbacks who became franchise quarterbacks, only three out of 30 guys that were even drafted between the second and fifth round became anything. Uh, be, like became starting quarterbacks and otherwise a handful of backups and everything else like that. So even the odds of a quarterback becoming Sage Rosenfels are very, very low once you get past the first. So I think you made the right call. If you're drafting a quarterback, you draft the guy who drops to be available at 14 if there is uh, somebody there. So I do um, have these little moments. I, I don't have them as much anymore, but right after I got done playing, after I retired, and I sort of, that's when you sort of sit back and look at the whole thing. You know, I was born in, in 1978. Breeze is actually a year younger than me because he didn't redshirt. So he's born in 79. But I think it was like, you know, of all quarterbacks that went to high school in 19, that were born in 1978, I may have had the longest career. Not that made the most money probably, you know, but uh, which, is, which is pretty odd to look back and think about, right? Tom Brady is a year older than me. Um, Drew Brees, you're younger than me. But, you know, that draft was, yeah, it was Michael Vick as the first pick, though he may have played longer than me. He had that break in the middle for various things. And so I don't know if he has, if he has as many crude seasons. But other than those two, you know, Chris Winkie and uh, Marquise Tuiasa-Sopo and Quincy Carter and Jesse Palmer, Josh Heupel, A.J. Feely, Mike McMahon, it was really – it's an interesting draft class and to go back and just, you know, I'm still friends with Jesse. So if I'm in New York, believe me, I'm trying to have a cup of coffee with all the great Jesse Palmer 
uh, who is, you know, his, he's, you know, he's more famous from not being a quarterback, from doing other things, which is pretty amazing. Uh, but to see how all these guys end up in their worlds, you know, uh, after being drafted and having whether, a, you know, Josh Heupel made maybe a practice squad or is the third string guy for one year, but like won the Maxwell trophy, you know, but definitely did not have the arm and didn't throw the ball very well to be an NFL quarterback. And I think it was a sixth or seventh rounder, but you know, now he's, you know, a head coach in college football, right? So it's interesting to sort of see where all those guys end up and we'll see how all these draft guys, you know, how, how they all end up too. Maybe there'll be a, another bachelor in this mix. <laughs> not going to be Trevor Lawrence though. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Let me end. Let, let's end on this. I want you to tell a story of a quarterback you were around at some point in your career who didn't make it for a funny reason. I just like you, if you've got a story of somebody who didn't work out and you went, yeah, I knew that guy wasn't going to work out because blank. Well, I had heard that Quincy Carter had a drug problem, like going into the, you know, the draft or the combine. I remember somebody saying that, like, I think he's got a drug problem. And that's what did end up happening. He had some sort of substance abuse issue and he didn't make it for very long. So I guess that would be like the non-shocker. Uh, of, of my draft. I actually thought Marquis Tuyasa Sopa was going to have a longer career. He was a second rounder drafted by John Gruden. Um, he was a great athlete. Like he was a guy, he ran for 250 and threw for 250 in a college football game up at Washington. And when I would watch him throw, I thought he had like a very nice throwing motion. And I was just sort of surprised that he didn't make it for, you know, as long as me or AJ Feely or these, some other guys. Right. So, um, yeah, I'm not surprised Mike McMahon had his career. Like he was a, he could throw it really well. He was a very good athlete, but like, you know, really high on the annoying guy award <laughs> list, right? So you're one of those guys where like, unless he's an awesome starter, he is going to be like one of those, like Rick Spielman's not going to have him as to be the backup or the third string guy. And that's what I was sort of talking about earlier. You could sort of see that early on. No offense to Mike McMahon, but I could, that's, that was my, you know, of his presence, that's what I felt like as a 23-year-old, and he, you know, he was 22, 23 as well. That's what I was Sage, looking Sage, for. Non, non-quarterback question, real quick before we let you go. The only Iowa State guy that I can find who's probably going to get drafted or maybe going to get drafted is a 6'7", 272-pound tight end, Dylan Soner, Dylan oh, Sater. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you know about this guy? He's Jim Kleinsauster. No, he is. <laughs> He's a big kid. I remember seeing him at practice one time. Um, he was a red shirt freshman and I was like, who is this kid? I mean, big number 89, big kid. Looks like he's moving pretty well when he's out there as a tight end. He wasn't a big, uh, like guy that pro- you think he'd like, end up being a tackle. Like, Hey, but, and maybe that's what happens to him. You know, maybe he ends up being like one of those, you know, you know, back in the day when it was San Francisco or not, uh, the Denver Broncos, which Mike Shanahan, you know, they, their left tackles were more athletic than they were big. You know, maybe he's one of those guys who say, hey, let's draft him in that move to tackle. But he's a good blocker, obviously. He catches the ball very well. Uh, I think he's very, very well liked on that football team. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't, you know, you know, I don't know where he'll be picked or what his 40 time was or his bench press or all that. But I, he was a very, very well-liked player by the coaching staff. And because they also would put him in that fullback position. You heard that client saucer can see like the client saucer compare comparable. You don't get too many client saucer comparables, but you do hear uh, uh, when you talk about <laughs> Iowa State. So we, there is, I think he might be one of those guys. Could be a tight end slash fullback slash left tackle. 
but, you know, being tall, it's hard to be a fullback in some ways because you have to, you have to bend down to get underneath those, like, linebackers' pads sometimes, and that can be hard to do for guys as big as him. But uh, I'd like to think he's going to have a, a decent uh, or, or very good NFL career. be super sweet. I mean, Iowa State won the Fiesta Bowl last year. The fact that they have one guy that might get drafted, mm-hmm. right, that's amazing. That is amazing. Now, they did have a whole bunch of guys go back to school because they think they could really be in this mix of the BCS. And so they have these, like, super seniors who are, like, 60-year seniors because last year the whole NCAA thing, the, mm-hmm. the year didn't count. So you probably have a few more guys on that list. Um, but what Matt Campbell is doing, and maybe that's a different podcast, but what Matt Campbell is doing, um, by the way, offered a huge contract with the Lions and turned it down. I wanted to say that one, by the way. Uh, what he is doing at Iowa State is so impressive because though he has good football players, he does not have draft picks. He does not have first-rounders. He does not have anything like the Nick Saban thing. He doesn't have anything like the Oklahoma thing. You know, they beat Oklahoma, then almost beat Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game. Oklahoma have six guys drafted this year or something like that, right? The fact that he does that with so few guys that are drafted is incredible. And he's such a good coach. His culture thing is very real. It's very different than the Minnesota gopher guy. Um, I think they're shooting for the same thing. I prefer Campbell's approach. Um, and I think it's very well. The players have really bought in. I went to spring practice the other day and what they're doing is so different than like what I went through in college of like spring ball is very beat them up because everyone's competing for the fall spots. It was very teaching, walk through, jog through routes on air, individual period, correct footwork, you know, offensive line working together on bags or whatever, like for practices, not you're right. You don't like 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 coaches don't do that. And one of the things he said to me was actually when they are done at Iowa State, he wants them healthy, so they have a chance to get the NFL. They have nice careers, and it makes Iowa State look good rather than like beat these guys up and then off you go to the NFL. Good luck to you with all of your injuries you accrued by us beating the crap out of each other. Like that mental approach to a coach. Do you know how as a player how much you appreciate that and how much like how great that is to want to then be healthy during the season and not all beaten it. No one's going to tear their ACL this spring, right? No one's going to blow an Achilles or blow out a shoulder because or have too many concussions, right? That used to happen and it does happen in, in last spring ball. You know, everyone's trying to go out there and prove themselves. And for his thought is how do we have this growing and healthy and also the, the weightlifting is still four or five days a week. So rather than like sort of taking spring ball off a little bit and backing off, no, we're still in that off-season development stage. What's more important, that we beat each other up in April and March or that we're getting stronger and learning the fine details so those things actually all matter really in November and December, right, when it really, really counts, October, November. So uh, what he is doing with having one guy drafted and win the Fiesta Bowl last year is I'm so impressed by it and – Hopefully we can keep him for a long, long time. I think he really would like to build Iowa State into a, like a special one of those programs. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I uh, we'll see if we get Dylan Sander gets drafted for 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 the Cyclones. That'd be great. Seems like a great kid. Um, I don't can't say I know him. I've tried to introduce myself once or twice along the way, but uh, he'd be he'd be a good type of Viking type of guy. I think he, I like glue guys. I like guys that are like you know they just. They, they just sort of bring it all together. 
they do all the right things. They can play multiple positions. He'll be out there. You know, Dylan Finn will be on kickoff team, I promise you, or kickoff return team. He'll do all those things. He'll do his job. And those types of guys, a lot of times, if healthy, will have 10-year, 12-year careers. Maybe never make more than $2 million, but great guys to have on your football team. And and I think, you know, I think he could, I could, he could definitely be one of those guys. 6'7", 275, that runs pretty good. He carries that weight extremely well. He really is like that big of a guy. I think he should have a good NFL career. Maybe the next David Morgan. There's your more recent comp. If we are if we are not making at least one Jim Kleinsaucer comparison in draft season, though, I, I just don't I just don't want draft season. Then you got to have at least one. In all, in all those years, nobody liked Kleinsaucer. Nobody. <laughs> just nobody. Nobody in any way that I play with that had all the things that he could do. It was just simply incredible. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, that's what made. Is he in the Ring of Honor? Is he in the Ring of Honor yet? I don't think so, but in our hearts, come on, that's like (laughs) you're just not going to get you're just not going to get that many guys in the way the NFL that play for your team for ten years. Like I don't care if he didn't go to five Pro Bowls or whatever. You know, um, to me, he's a no brainer. You know, I got I think Chad Greenway, Rudolph will probably be a ring. You play ten years for a franchise anymore? It's just so rare. You got to have a you got to have a ring of ring a ceremony once a year, don't you? You got to throw somebody in every year. I like to or, you know or two. I like to think uh, that Klein Saucer should be in there if he isn't already. I'm guessing he's not. You guys would probably know this. No, I I don't think he is. That sounds like a um, a, a summer podcast. Make your case for Ring of Honor guys. Um, I mean, I, you'd like to think <laughs> ten plus years just at the organization. There's a very you know, no offense to Colin Loeffler. Uh, as a long snapper, he probably won't make it. But if you're, you know, a guy like Klein Saucer too, um, and also, you know, not that it helps, but he like stayed in the area. Uh, you know, that helps. He's a he's a Minnesotan, and I think there's something special about that too. Marcus Carroll's then. I was I mean, he's just going to say that. Let's, let's put in Cheryl. You know that without now you're going to take down my Klein <laughs> Saucer thing. Love love me some Cheryl's though. Again, glue guy, right? Yeah, Cheryl's yeah. the glue guy. Klein Saucer a glue guy. You know, those guys that just like what, you know, yeah, throw him out there for that. He'll know what he's doing in the slot or outside or on kick return or on punt return or as a gunner or I love those guys. And uh, maybe Dylan Santa could be that, that next guy for the Vikings. And next thing I'll be in the ring of honor in 15 years. <laughs> Sage, you're the best as always. This was a fantastic conversation. Loved it. And glad we could do a round table with uh, a little bit of like, I was explaining to Sam what that show was like, this is your life. Well, this, like this is your past podcast life being on with uh, me and Sam. So thanks so much for your time, man. All right, guys. Thanks for having me on.